Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. I'm here with my co-hosts, Jim, Brad, and Jeff. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to answer prospective clients' questions in those all-important introduction meetings. They're trying to interview you. You're trying to interview them to see if they're a good fit. And and we've got a list of 20 different questions today. We're going to try to go through kind of in this mastermind group to discuss what should your answers be to these questions? How do you handle these objections that these prospective clients have? Again, they may have, they may come into a into your office with a list of questions, trying to interview you, get a sense of who you are and if you're a good fit for them. But we're doing the same thing. We're trying to interview this prospect to see if, hey, is this somebody I want to work with for the next 20 or 30 years? So guys, if it's okay with you, we'll I'll just jump right into these questions and uh, we can kind of tackle them one by one. Yeah, let's roll. Okay. The first question, and you're hearing this more and more, this is kind of just a, a starter question. And, and I never heard this 10 years ago, 12 years ago when I got started. Nobody ever said, are you a fiduciary? But how do you how do you tackle that? Um, who wants to jump on it first? I'll I'll jump right in and uh, yeah I think it's I Greg I think this, this that's a great question I think what people go out and they search for what questions do you ask a financial advisor like there's a list of these like preset questions and in fact everybody should go out and Google that right now and figure out what the heck people are going to bring into your office because. You need to have an answer for every one of them. It needs to be slick and it needs to be honest and and uh, and forthright. But when somebody comes in, I explain to them I am. I'm a registered investment advisory firm. We we've aligned our firm with those practices. We act in a fiduciary responsibility. But I also make sure that I let them know that a fiduciary doesn't mean you're competent and good at your job. It it, it doesn't mean any of that. It's just a it's just something that people people hang their hat on. So don't just rate people based upon. Are they legally bound to act in your best interest? Try to figure out, do you trust them? Do you like them? Can you work with them? And obviously fiduciary as well. So that's how we handle in our office. We just answer the question. We do let them know that if we are acting with insurance, insurance does pay a commission. And uh, we we do have a conflict of interest relative to that, but we'll make sure we disclose any conflicts of interest. Love it, Jim. How about yeah, Jim I mean, Brad? I was going to say to Jim's point, number one, you better study this and you better have well thought out, honest answers and not prepared statements that may or may not be something you believe in. And to Jim's point, I just explained to them because I work on an advisory fee basis, uh, that agreement has that embedded in it, essentially. And what I would tell you is kind of blows my mind. I, I will be honest a little bit. Uh, early on, I hadn't read every single paragraph of my advisory fee agreement. <laughs> um, go back and read that thing and be prepared to show them exactly what language is in there 
um, and, and why it explains that. Because do not ever get caught not having read something you put in front of somebody that potentially will read every paragraph and, and ask you questions about it. So I, I felt much more confident in my answer once I went and said, here's where it's in writing on a document that we're going to put between us. So I, I will happily stand behind the fact that, yes, I act as a fiduciary. And then I, in my case, by the way, I say second to that, I work as a CFP certificant, I believe is the appropriate way to say that, uh, which also holds me to the fiduciary standard. So in that case, we're double covered on fiduciary. Jeff, when you, um, <clears throat> I know the list of questions that we're talking about that's been circulating for about a decade, I think was on Yahoo Finance originally. One of those questions is, um, and would you put that in writing? Are you a fiduciary and would you put, so do you use your advisory agreement as the, yes, I will. And here it is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think a point to mention here for people that are listening, I think that you have to tailor your answer to this question a little bit to your own situation, right? Cause even looking at the three of us, uh, Jim, I'm sure that I'm sure this is a softball lob question for you as an RIA. So it's kind of a benefit, Jeff, Greg, UCFP. I am. Yes. Okay. So you guys can tailor that. I, I have an AIF. So obviously I tailor that into my response with the plaque on my wall that says fiduciary on it. Um, but you know, so everybody's going to get this question and somebody else might not have it, especially at a wire Edward Jones, where, you know, they probably are earlier in their career, maybe don't have any of those designations, but I think you have to tailor this one a little bit to your own situation. But I like what Jim, what you said about, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything. That's the regulation. You could be a good or bad advisor either way. Um, I think I've heard of people also tailoring that Bernie Madoff was a fiduciary into the response to this question, which is probably a more defensive response if you don't hold you know, a, CFP, a CFP or if you are at a broker-dealer. Um, <clears throat> I know I've, I've pointed out in the past also that when you do whether it's in your advisory agreement or not by law, when you do fee business, you know, you're under the 40 act and you are a fiduciary, whether you write it out or say it or put it on your wall or not. So I think that's a good tie in to anyone that doesn't have a designation, but is still going to work on a fee basis. You, you are a fiduciary by law. Yeah. So. Brad, that's a good point about uh, Bernie Madoff, that that he was a fiduciary. And, and I mentioned that one time to a prospect and they were like blown away. They were yeah. like, like, how could that be? And it comes back to Jim's point. It, it really depends on the character of the person, you know, sure. bottom line. So um, but getting that more question, I love all those those uh, answers to the fiduciary question. We get that over and over again. Um Another question is, and, and sometimes they people come in with a list of questions. Sometimes I've had this one woman, I mean, it was like an interview. It was like a full-blown interview. I was like, ah, uh, oh, it was like. Exhausted. Exa it was, it was yeah. exhausting. You know, it's like, uh, so anyway, um, but the next question is, you know, how long have you been a fi uh, financial advisor? How do you get paid? So those two questions. And of course, like Brad said, that's going to be different for everybody, but how, uh, as far as the, how long have you been a financial advisor? Maybe the three of you can help maybe the younger advisor who maybe, maybe only has three to five years of experience. How, so how do you tailor your answer to make you look more certified? Well, I, of course, again, like Brad said, it depends on your situation. Um, but if I were 
as I was starting out at 22 years old and trying to grow, uh, but having little to no experience. Uh, that was year one for me at 22. Um, I would, I would, you have to be careful about appearing like a salesman, but I'd be prepared to bounce that question back. And what I'd say is, um, so you asked me how long I've been an advisor. I might just ask you, um, how long has anyone that you might be speaking with been an advisor? Then the next question is, how long will they be an advisor? Because uh, I often explain to people the truth that the majority of our industry is over 60 years old. I think it is. It's probably now more like 65 years old. Um, and so especially early on, that you should be prepared to use as a competitive advantage. So um, again, be prepared with your answer. But um, uh, very early on, I would say, well, the, the good news for you is I am at whatever age you might be, 20 to 25 years old. I still anticipate having 30 to 40 years of, of my career in front of me, which means I will be here to walk you through your retirement. Um, so it's just a way to reposition that question if you are at the early end of your career and you don't necessarily have the experience. I love yeah. it. Jeff, I agree. And, and I think um, I think you, you have to answer it truthfully, right? So it, 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 and it's going to feel like you're on the spot if you're 25 years old and you have to say, I've only been in the business for two years because I just graduated from college. So I think you have to lean on your education if you have it. I think you might consider some certifications if you're not there. Maybe some of the maybe some of the easier certifications. Um, it, but the other thing you want to lean on is your firm's background as well. So I think that's where when I started out and people said, "Jim, how long have you been in the financial you know financial services industry?" It was kind of easy for me because I, I was a scratch starter like you guys. But um, I, I was older when I did it, and I'd worked at banks, so it was easy for me to to leverage some of that experience. But I think you leverage the firm experience. You know, I've been in the business uh, for for a number of years, and and um, but the firm I'm working with and for, or the custodian, or whatever your arrangement is where he is, you can lean on that. Uh, you can also lean that you work with as a partner with a with a, a mentor. So I think there's a lot of ways you can you can go about this. And, and I know the second part of your question, Greg, was how do you get paid? Um, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very clear with people that we're a fee based uh, fiduciary firm. So we charge, we charge based upon the assets we manage, and depending upon the custodian we use, we either charge monthly or quarterly. And we let our folks know that we're on quarterly or monthly retainers. And if, and if after the quarter that we haven't done a good job, they should fire us. Uh, give us a chance to fix it. Uh, but I let them know that based upon how well they do is how well I do. So the more money they make, the better off I do. If the market's down, I take a pay cut as well. So our interests are are keenly aligned on that. Uh, I hate using the the analogy that we're on the same side of the table. Um, for me, I don't really think that's the truth necessarily. But I do let them know that my uh, my my uh, my pay rate is completely tied to how well the performance of their uh, their portfolio is. Jim, yeah. I'm gonna say with I'm gonna say with you. I I even had a client once ask me, uh, well, what kind of con? I've had many clients ask me, what kind of contract do we have to 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 sign with you to stay with your firm? What yeah. commitment is there? Yeah, that, I, you know, for us, um, I just pulled the advisory agreement out, kind of to, to Jeff's point. And I'm I'm not sure on the, I can't remember what the advisory agreement looks like on the uh, indie broker dealer side, but for us. There's a clause in there for termination. And I tell them, you know, first thing I point out is it doesn't say at the top contract, it says agreement. And agreements are just handshakes on paper, essentially. And I, I walk them to the termination clause in there, which just says, 
a either party can terminate the contract with five days of notice. So I, you know, I have no problem telling people like this is you can walk away with your money. We don't want you to. And I hope that we'll have enough professional respect for each other that you give me a, a chance to fix something if something should go amiss. Because we're we're very clear that we're not perfect at our firm. We're, we try to be excellent, but we can't we cannot reach the level of perfection that people expect sometimes. So we, we just let them know ultimately, hey, if you want to leave us, then all, all the best. We, but we, we don't lose many clients like everybody here. We're pretty sticky because we deliver good service. But but five days, right? It's right in your contract. I, 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 do you guys have that in your contracts? Do you have a termination clause? Yeah, I mean, in my case, my broker dealer literally reconciles the fee to the day. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I tell them just that that I'm it's in a sense paid by the day. <laughs> Should they walk away, that's their choice, hundred uh, percent. And the the other thing I was going to kind of add on to that, Jim, and it's great. Um, this is a reason I would hope many, if not most, advisors are using non proprietary products. Um, because I, that is part of my answer to that question as well. Uh, I say, um, the good news is number one, I'm paid essentially quarter to quarter, if not by the day should our relationship end. But second, I will not use a proprietary product that leaves you stuck in a position where you can't leave. And that has made me, I've been fortunate never to use a proprietary product, but that has made me very confident and comfortable in that answer of saying everything I do here has a full walkaway privilege, which means all the responsibility falls to me to do the right thing. I like it. And and just another thing I'll add to that. Um, I think many of, many of us collectively uh, despise Fisher for all the marketing that they do. Um, But Holy cow, have they embedded into the mind of the American television viewer we do better when you do better. <laughs> I mean, I've got more and more people feeding that back to me before I have a chance to even finish explaining myself. So yeah. uh, leverage that for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just had someone the other day, Jeff, say, oh, so your fee works. The the better we do, the better you do, right? <laughs> and what do you say about, you know, so it's just, uh, it's baloney. But uh, Brad, what about you? Do, you? do you mention, and another question for you guys, do you, do you bring up the fact that, oh, if we decide to use some, uh, you know, let's say an investment product that might have a commission associated with that, maybe it's long-term care, maybe it might be some type of annuity. Um, do you bring that up or do you just kind of stick to, you know, uh, you know, hey, we're overall, we're fee-based, you know, primarily? Yeah, I do something <clears throat> similar to uh, to Jim and Jeff. Um, I heard lots of phrases in both responses that are in, in my response too. Uh, but I do point out, especially that, you know, when they're buying typically a fixed interest type of product for a particular reason, like a CD or a fixed annuity that the that my compensation is going to be built into the rate already. And then I'll usually throw in some type of example about, you know, when you buy a CD at the bank, you know, there's no outright fee, but you know, the bank is making money on the spread or something along those lines and they get it and they appreciate it. And they chuckle when you say, but the bank is still making money. They know that. Sure. Sure. You know, on the fee, on the, on the, what do you charge and fee question? Curious if you guys, do you guys ever run into any prospects that ask that question, but are coming from somewhere where they clearly do not know what they're paying? Constantly. Yeah. Yes. Like they come from a C-share portfolio or a VA from a Northwestern mutual agent, and they come to you believing 
that their fee is the is the custodial fee. You know? Forty dollars. Yeah, my fee is forty dollars a year. That's the one that I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I mean. What and, and, what I'll say, Brad, is would it be helpful if if as we, you know, I I you know we get to know each other that I review what you might currently have to give you an idea what you're currently paying, and they're always going to say yes to you know would it be helpful if I if I look at what you have, like for example, if it's a, a variable annuity with a certain carrier, um, you know, I mean, it could be 4% that they're paying, you know? Uh, so um, I, I think that's helpful because then you come from a, from the point point of view of, oh, I'm going to teach you what you're already paying. So anything I, I'm proposing is probably going to be a lot less, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I just want to point out that when you, when you do that, it's important not to tell them, but to show them. So if you're gonna if you're gonna pull up if you're sitting in the office and you've got somebody with a, a C share that you know that they think they're getting for free you should use Morningstar or something like that and go to the fee section and and show them exactly where it is and then what the cost is and with a variable annuity I, I've probably um, I've probably got more people out of variable annuities uh, than than I than than almost anybody in my in my state I would imagine because the the process is really simple and I don't know if you guys do this but I'll call the company up with a client right there. I'll say, well, let, let's go ahead and call, let's say Allianz, which is a fine variable annuity company. So don't think I'm picking on you, Allianz, but let's call them up. And you get the agent on the phone and I just go up to my whiteboard and I write M&E, writer, admin, and investment fee. I tell them there's going to be three or four of expenses. And we just write down what the numbers are as I'm asking them out. The, the, the rep is perfectly happy to give me the answer. And at the end, when I add it all up, I always ask them, I'm like, oh, so let me make sure this is right. Mrs. Jones is paying 4% for this product. <laughs> and then I just do the math. I'm like, oh, so 4% of $300,000 is, I'm like, okay, well, thank you so much for giving us that information. And I hang up the phone and I just ask Mrs. Jones, you know, how do you feel about that? What do, what do you think her response is? Like, she's shocked and awed because- these most of these people that put people in these products don't let them know what the fees are. So when right. when the when the company tells them what the fee is, oh man, it's 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 uh, it at least gives the client the opportunity to know exactly what they pay, so they can make the right decision for themselves. I bet yeah, that's pretty and, powerful to have the <clears throat> the insurer tell you tell the client the fee. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it, it's instant credibility because you don't have, you're not the person telling them because if you tell them they're always there's always that lingering like is he really telling me the truth but it's right. coming from them yeah it's 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 powerful I really like that approach uh, and I've had it where it's almost Jim if if I'm kind of pointing out the fee the advisory fee and and I I've seen as high as two and a half percent and and I'm pointing it out they they kind of well. It's like they never look at their statements to see what what the what the advisor, even though it's like right there. And with the variable annuities, as you know, most of those fees are not disclosed on the quarterly statements, so they're not black and white like they should be. Yeah. As as I listen to you guys talk, I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. Um, it's amazing the confidence that we've accumulated through the years of having had a lot of these conversations. And it's, I think, important. Let's just be explicit about that because um, I will tell you early on, if somebody walked in with this list of questions, a bad feeling went up my back like this is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and so then the subtle dynamic here that we've all clearly gotten comfortable with is um, imagine if 
you, your tendency then is to say, okay, well, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to answer their question exactly the way they answer it and not say anything more. And if you do that, chances are you're actually positioning yourself as a weak advisor. Um, and, and this is this mind game that's going on that nobody even realizes is going on. And so I think what we've all developed is the skill to take control of that conversation and be comfortable making it an actual conversation instead of a really awkward job interview. <laughs> um, and, and so how it's, I think the point you mentioned earlier, Greg, maybe before we got started, but there's this dynamic of, well, they're asking a question, but what are they really actually asking that question? You know, like, how do you get paid? The question they might actually be asking is, how am I paying the guy I, or guy or gal that I'm working with right now? And they don't even know that they're asking it. <laughs> yes. um, and Yeah. And so I think that's then the kind of the mind game, for lack of a better word, for us all to be thinking about is, OK, well, let's think about what this question is in black and white. But then let's think about what else it might mean. And I would say that to somebody. I would say. I want to answer your question 100%. Uh, I say that a lot, don't I? I want to be sure I'm clear that I answer your question, but I'm also wondering if you know how you're paying the advisor you're working with right now, just like you all said. So be prepared to turn this into a conversation because that's actually what the prospective client wants. <laughs> they want somebody typically to step up, understand where they're coming from, help them rephrase their question maybe if needed. And then I think that puts you in a lot better position to actually gain confidence from that person. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, that everyone experiences the same questions from prospects. Yeah. We've all had that same person walk in the door for all of these questions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the next question I have on my list, I know we've all heard it a hundred times and it, um, it's trying to get a sense of your firm and the people that you work with, but they'll ask something like, okay, so, so this is the name of your firm. You've been, and you've been an advisor for X amount of years. How many, how many clients do you work with? And I think the reasoning behind this is they want to know, I'm trying to put myself in, in their shoes while they're asking it is they don't want to hear a number like 10,000 clients. Um, and, and you might even use that to your advantage. And, and they also don't want you to say, oh, I only, I just got started. I have five clients, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, and my brother, you know, or something like that. So how do you guys tackle that? Of course, we want to be honest, right? And say, hey, this is, this is truly uh, the, the amount of clients that we work with. But I'll, I will almost ask back and why, and, and what would that information, why would knowing that information be important to you in choosing a financial advisor? And then shut up and see what they have to say. But how do you guys answer that? Greg, I love the I love that, by the way, what you just said there. So I think that's fantastic. I just tell them the truth. It's on my ADV. It's not like it's not a mystery. So yep. we, we have uh we have 400 clients, and I think on our on our last ADV is 140 million, 139 million under management. Uh, so I just tell them like what what the numbers are, uh, but I also let them know that um, from a capacity perspective, that's why we have two. Nobody can handle 400 clients effectively and meet with everybody with our service model that we hold. And everybody's got different service models, so you, you have to figure out what your capacity level would be. But for us, um, I just let them know what it is, and uh, that's the reason we have two other advisors, so we have enough capacity to handle you know another 150 clients or whatever our numbers are. 
And uh, but I love I love that flipping it back. Why? Why? What, what's important to you about that question? Because it, you might you might uncover more more data there that I think I think can make sense there. And I think it's also if you're new, you, again you you have to to Brad's point earlier. You really have to lean on your situation. If if you have twenty clients, you might talk less about your individual book of business and the fact that hey, you know we we custodian all our accounts at TD Ameritrade. Uh, TD Ameritrade is the second largest custodian or whatever the numbers are. And we run a really boutique firm to provide excellent service. And, you know, when you call me at eight o'clock at night on a Tuesday, I'm going to answer the phone. Uh, I think that's terrible if you do that. But, you know, if you're if you're younger and growing, you might tailor your question or your answer a little differently. I love that, Jim. And what I always say to people or used to say, especially when I had 20 clients is, uh, hey, you call me on a Tuesday night or you know Tuesday afternoon, you're going to speak with me instead of calling an 800 number and pressing one for English, two for Spanish, and you get frustrated being on hold for 45 minutes. And then you might say, oh, I, I clear through TD Ameritrade. Uh, are you familiar with with TD Ameritrade, or are you familiar with Fidelity? I would use that, boy, especially like a Fidelity name because everybody knows Fidelity. So what about Brad and Jeff? I do similar to Jim. I don't really get too fancy with this question. I don't have an individual ADV that they can look at, but um, I'll usually try and say, you know, my my number of households obviously is a little higher than everybody else's. So I'll usually try and say something about, you know, um, 250 to 300, you know, financial planning clients. I have more clients than that, but a lot of times it's a retirement plan participant or something like that. I'll make a conversation about it. Um, but yeah, I do similar to what Jim does. I, I tailor it to what I think that they're, they're really asking. Yeah. You know, and related, go ahead. Continue, Brad. No, after you, Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Good. I no, to Brad's point, I guess I, I feel like People like feeling like they're being shown a little bit behind the curtain sometimes. Um, and so I will often say, you know, here's the problem, the issue with that question. Go talk to 10 people that do what I do. And one of them might say they have 10 clients and the uh, and then another might say they have 50 and another might say they have 500. The reality is there's no way of knowing what those clients look like necessarily. So, you know, somebody with 500 clients may be taking great care of those people because they have low service needs uh, and somebody else might have 10 clients, um, but they're 10 clients with, you know, a whole lot of money. So, I, again, I'm just kind of walking people through why that question it can be ambiguous and the answers they get could mean a whole lot of things to different people. And then I would say what really matters is are you the type of client that the advisor typically works with? And, um, and because then that makes you a good fit for the advisor. So um, again, kind of show them behind the curtain and why that number is, it's a number, but what really matters is even are they the right type of client? And of course, hopefully they are for you, especially early on. They usually tend to be, don't they? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, that's Jeff. interesting. I don't word it like that, but in my response, usually, because the person in front of me is almost always, or that I care about answering this question well for, right? It's the person who wants to retire, who has you know a couple hundred thousand to low seven figures. I We know who's in front of me. So I'll usually tie my answer. I'm going to give them an honest answer of, you know, many more households than most people want. And I'll tie my, but 
250 to 300, you know, uh, retirement income planning clients or some, something like that. And then close it out with like you, like you to set the, to set the stage in their mind that like, they are my ideal client. So I don't actively think about it like you said it, but that is an excellent point. And, and for those listeners that aren't familiar with Brad and his practice, but, but he specializes, you know, in, in educators, right? So, so the primarily, uh, the the biggest bulk of his business comes from a lot of teachers and especially in, in the state that he's in, he's very familiar with, uh, you know, the pension plan that te- the teachers have in his state. And, and that's kind of his niche. And I would, I, Brad, I think that's incredible. I would say just like that are, that are teachers or educators, just like you, you know, I work with hundreds of families um, and that's what people want to know. So the next question, uh, Jeff, I'm so glad you tied that in. It's because I, the next question literally on my list is what is your typical, what does your typical client look like? And they want to know, I think why they're asking this question is I want it to look like me, whether it's a doctor, they want to know, Hey, do you work with other doctors? If you're a teacher, Hey, do you work with other educators? Um, so, so what is your response? What, what does your typical client look like? Maybe, I don't know if they're trying to ask like net worth, uh, or, or, you know, account size. I, I, um, what are you, what are they expecting us to say? I, I don't know. Uh, I'll start with anybody who wants to, to go. Well, just really quickly, like Brad, it's funny. Here's where I say like you, that it's exactly the words that are jumping out of my mouth. It's funny. They look a lot like you. Uh, again, people want to know what how much money other people have too. That, that's an innate curiosity. And so I will walk them through. I'll say, you know, that said, what oftentimes really matters to people is how much income do they need versus how much income they have? So regardless of whether that number is $200,000 or $20 million, at the end of the day, my experience is people are concerned about how much income they have or they need versus the amount of assets that they have. So therefore, whether they have $20 million or $200,000, they look a lot like you, don't they? (laughs) True. True. I love it, Jeff. Yeah, I think I, I I loved what Brad and Jeff said about like you. I, I think people are uh, they are curious about how other people are doing. They're also curious if they're if they're okay. Like, are, am I keeping up with my neighbor, or am I? If, how am I doing relative to everybody else you work with? And I think you just answer it honestly. But it's really subjective, as we all know. If you've done financial planning long enough, you you know that the biggest key is how much somebody spends. So. I'm happy to, I always circle back to that and let everybody know everybody's different. They have different goals. They have different desires, uh, but we work with folks just like you. And, you know, in your marketing should be attracting people that, that kind of fit that demographic as well. So my marketing's geared to pre-retirees and recent retirees. So that is, when they sit across from me, that is who I work with. There's no lies there. That's, that's exactly the client that I can help. That, that person that saved 750 to one and a half million dollars, that's my ideal client right there. So it's really easy to answer like how we can help them, what value add we have, and that they are going to be on track if they follow the plan we put forth. So that's how we approach it. I love it. 
Love it. I, I, and I even say, I, I even say personally, you know, we, we work with people 50 and of course you got people, you can kind of gauge how old they are and, you know, it's sitting in front of you, but yeah, we work with people 55 and older that have the concerns about retirement. Do I have enough? When should I claim my social security? Our, our niche is pretty much the same as you, Jim. And, and you start listing off these very, you know, kind of top, top level concerns that everybody's going to have. And they're going to, and then end it. Uh, I'm learning from you guys, just like you, uh, is what I'm going to, thanks Jeff and Brad. That's awesome. You know, I think that's huge. And I, I always, whenever I do anything, I try and put myself on the other end and see how I would respond to it. And just in talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking through my mind, like if I went to, you know, let's say you bought a rare vehicle, whether it's a boat or an exotic car or something, you call your insurance agent. And if he gives you the responses, you're talking that like, oh, I do this all the time for other clients. It's like this wave of, oh, thank God, this isn't going to be a huge pain, right? Yeah. Right. Or you get a speeding ticket or something and you, the attorney that you're working with clearly is, you know, is like, oh, you know, this happens all the time in that department. Here's what's going to happen. We'll get her down to a, you know, disobeying traffic signs or something. It's like a relief to know that you are working with someone that this is like tying their shoes. What you need is what they do all the time. It's just, it's a relief to me. So I, I think it's powerful to let them know, oh, just like you. Yeah, I like that. I, Brad, I, I, I'm laughing on my end. I love how you explained that. I, I said to a client, and, and this was just on a whim one day, um, you know, yeah, we this is our specialty. This is like our bread and butter is helping people put a retirement plan together. And I think that's what you want. Uh, so we do this every day. We're, it's not like we're going to give this the old college try. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they both laughed and, you know, they were like ready to, to move forward that day. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's so, it's kind of like when you're hiring somebody like, Hey, you've done this before, right? It's like, well, I can fix anything. It's like, that's right. not the answer you want to hear. You want to hear them say, uh, you know, especially if it's a doctor or somebody like that. Uh, oh yeah. I do this on a weekly basis. This is, this is nothing. So yeah, uh, you don't want a contractor to, to, to be the first house he builds is yours or the doctor, <laughs> the first surgery yours. So right. I, 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 I love that analogy. That's great. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so this has been helpful. We're probably going to have to get into a part two of this questions that prospects are, are kind of coming to us with saying, Hey, answer X, Y, and Z to try to determine if we're the right financial advisor for them. So we're going to continue with this list of questions that prospects come with. And the whole intention of kind of throw, tossing around these questions is to help our listeners be able to close more business and, and be more effective in these prospective client introduction meetings. Because when we all started out, you know, these all these questions were kind of new to us. And now we've, each of us has a decade of experience and we've heard these questions over and over and over. And so it's, it's kind of become natural of how you respond to these. So hopefully our listeners can kind of pick up some tips like, like Brad and Jeff shared, just like you. I love, I'm going to use that from now on. So if you haven't already, check out our website, thefinancialadvisorsedge.com. We're starting to put together a mastermind. If you want to call it that, uh, Jim, what are we going to try to do? We're going to... At some point, have a mastermind, but also kind of get all the advisors that want to learn from veteran advisors like us that have built successful practices. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I think um, I think our we've gotten a lot of feedback from the show so far, and a lot of questions coming in, and people are asking, "Where can we meet you? Can we come to your mastermind? Can we connect with you guys?" 
So, so we're going to put together, we call we're going to call it the Century Club, which that has a couple of different meanings. We're going to limit it to 100 people. Um, and we're also going to, the goal of the club is for folks to reach $100 million under management or whatever your whatever your individual goals are. Uh, we're just putting the, uh, we're just starting the, the idea of what this is going to look like and feel like. But I think for folks who have interest in it and want to connect with other advisors who are goal-oriented, want to grow, want to do it the right way with client-focused uh, client to client, the center of the focus. I, I think go out to the website, put your information in, get on the list. When we launch it, you'll be first to know about it. The financial advisors edge.com. Put in your information, sign up, and uh, we're, this is going to be fun. We're, we're kind of lighthearted uh, advisors, all very successful. We enjoy doing this podcast. And uh, we want to help other advisors build their businesses to have the success that we've had over the years. We all, you've all heard the expression advisors, we all feel like we're on an island. And if you can join a group of advisors that are more successful than you and are where you want to be, well, you're going to learn so much from those people. And I think that's, that's uh, the century club that we're putting together. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of advisors. So we're going to uh, check us out next episode. We're going to continue this conversation on questions that prospects have, part two. We'll see you next time for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.